The following audio is from Morningstar Baptist Church in Dayton, Ohio. For more information about Morningstar, visit morningstardayton.org. Welcome back to our podcast. My name is Ben. I'm the associate pastor here at Morningstar Baptist Church in Dayton, Ohio, and I'm joined by our lead pastor and co-host, John Decker. John, how's it going today? Man, a lot better than last week. Yeah. I can feel <laughs> so, my legs. Yeah, I'm awake. Man, last week was insane. I remember we did the podcast, what was that, Wednesday? Tuesday afternoon. Tuesday. And we were day three into the remodel of our stage at that point. And if we only knew then how many more hours we oh. were going to put in before. So all that to say, I'm doing well, yeah. better this week than last You've week had for some sure. Sleep. Had a little bit of sleep, man. But the question is, did you? Because you put some crazy hours I, in too. I did. I did. I'm, I'm, Slept up. I'm back together. I've got my brain back. Yesterday I was still like I was still dragging a little bit, right. but but today I'm back at a hundred percent, and uh, I'm super excited about our our new series that we're yeah. in. I, I thought Sunday was one of our best Sundays in a really uh, long. Just the spirit was really sweet. It was powerful. Um, it, it, obviously, it was super evident that God was moving, which is always exciting to see. And you know, what I love when those moments happen when you're like Sunday was you and I both probably felt the least prepared on mm-hmm. Sunday because of the crazy week we had redoing the stage and we were both drained and exhausted. And I just, you just felt like going in like, Oh man, this is not going to connect today. But then to watch God show up, it's just one of those moments. He just kind of made it real, very evident. That it's not about you. Yeah. It just, and that reminder is it's, it's humbling, but it's also exciting to see him step up and that. And I, so I loved it. It was awesome. Sunday was great. It was. We, we, we tell people all the time that we're just doing our best to stay out of God's That's way. That's right. <laughs> And we didn't That's really right. have any energy to be in his we way had on no Sunday. <laughs> um, and he worked and he moved and just proved us that that idea that in, in our weakness, he is strong. Yeah. And he does show himself strong in those those areas. So Absolutely. But I'm excited about our series, too. And, and for those of you who don't know, it's we're talking about when Jesus comes to town. Yeah. Which really is piggybacking off the previous uh, series we did, which is called Sphere, uh, your circle of influence kind of thing. And it's awesome to see how these are all tying together. Yeah, we were just talking about that the other day. It's cool. was, And we even already know what we're going for Easter, right? We haven't, yeah. we haven't rolled that one out, but this one's going to roll perfectly into that mm-hmm. one. And and so we kicked around, what do we do for for the podcast during this series? And and we decided, well, what better than to talk with some of our people and talk about when Jesus came to town in their life right. and allow them to to share what it was like um, when Jesus came to town, well, maybe maybe what they were like before Jesus mm-hmm. um, came to be a part of their life, and then after Jesus came to be a part of their life, what changed and what was different? Yeah, because in this series, we're looking at Jesus shows up to a certain town, but everywhere he went, when he would show up, there was an immediate decision that had to be made. Mm-hmm. Like, how am I going to respond to what, he's saying and you couldn't and you read that through the new testament you see that these people could not engage with jesus and leave in neutral like there had to be a choice made and so i love that we're bringing in people say hey what did that look like for you yeah. when jesus showed up and you you surrendered it all you gave your life to him what did it look like for you uh because just like he showed up two thousand years ago and went from town to town when his word is preached, when the gospel is presented, he's still showing up at that moment going, okay, what are you going to do with this this story right. now? What are you going to do with this message? Right. And so we're so excited to have Angela Reese, who everybody calls her Reese, Reese except yeah. for me. So I'm going to do my best 
during the podcast to just call her Reese so it doesn't sound like we're right. talking to two different people. But if time. you hear the word Angela or the, uh, the name Angela or the name Reese, it's the same person. Right. Okay. It's the same right. person. She right. goes by Reese, except for some for some reason when I met her, somebody said her name was Angela, and that's that's what I like. I just thought for to. the longest time her name was just Reese. Like she did, she's one of those artists that didn't have a first or last name. It was just yeah. Reese. So yeah. So, well, Reese, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you. I'm super excited to be a part of it. Reese, we're excited you're here. And uh, so backstory a little bit. I met you a couple years ago. Uh, You've traveled with, and I'm not going to try to steal your thunder today, but you travel with what used to be Lift Camp. Now it's called Engage Camp. And that's kind of the environment and context where we met each other for the first time and got to, you know, talk with you off and on throughout the time. But there was a time where I finally actually had a chance to hear your story and to hear uh, what God has done in your life. And that's one of the reasons we wanted, like we wanted to bring Reese in to have her share um, this amazing story. So uh, tell people a little, little bit about yourself and then why don't you start off with like, Hey, like tell them that backstory a little bit. Like what, what was it? What, what were you like and what was going on in your life right before Jesus came to town in your life? I'd love to. Uh, what's really cool is all of my life I experienced a lot of what love was not. I thought I knew what love was, and I thought the things I experienced were that, but it wasn't until I met Christ that I realized that it was not the right kind of love mm-hmm. and that there's so much more out there. And so with my backstory, there's about four or five, five probably five or six big major things that okay. really impacted me as a person. Um, I would have to start out with my mom and how I came about. She was taken advantage of at the age of 17 at a party, completely unexpected. And from that, she became pregnant. And she was just 17, about to turn 18 by the time I would be born. The father was not in the picture. She didn't even know who he was. Mm. And so that's how I came into this world is my dad is essentially a rapist. And um, he's never been a part of my life. And in that situation, that man insisted on his own way did what he wanted to do. And Mm. the Bible very clearly says that that's not love. Right. And from there, she fell into a really strong drug addiction. There was Mm. a lot of trauma behind it. And so my grandparents, her sisters took care of me mostly until she got back on her feet. But she struggled with that addiction all throughout her life. Okay. And have you ever met your dad before? No, I don't even know. Still no idea Mm -mm. to this day. Wow. Okay. All right. And so obviously that impacted your mom, that part. And, obviously what she went through when she was 17 mm-hmm. and led down that path of drug addiction. And so what happened from there? From there, it would be a continual cycle of her moving to a different state and finding a new job and finding a new man okay. and saying to my grandparents, I'm stable. I have a job. I'm clean. Let me have my daughter back. And they would always trust her and take me to her. And the first place that was, it was in Kansas, Kansas city, And she had a job. She had this guy she was living with, and it seemed like a good thing. And we moved there, and they got married. They had two kids, so I had a brother and sister now. But I very soon realized that she was still doing drugs, and he Mm. was her drug dealer. Okay. Um, I have a lot of memories of seeing them take part in doing the drugs, and that forced me as a very, very young girl like four or five to take care of newborns and infants and it was really hard um but with that so now here is my first father figure and one thing about that situation was I wasn't his biological kid so he wasn't too fond of me for some reason he was very uh, resentful 
of me and was very physically abusive towards my mom. And if she wasn't there, I was the one that took it. Mm. Uh, so he really like foc- focused all that on me. And that was really hard. And again, the Bible says that love is not resentful. And for some reason, he had that in his heart to be mm-hmm. towards me. So. Okay. So how old were you at this point? You're four or five, you said? Yes. In Kansas? Between okay. four and six okay. in Kansas. All right. And so how long was your mom with him? And what, where did y'all end up next? Uh, she was with him for, I would say, about three years. The timeline's okay. kind of foggy in terms yeah. of all of that. But I would say three years. And uh, there was a lot of custody battles because... Uh, CPS and all of child protection services mm-hmm. were always in our home and all of that. And they were always getting in trouble. But I remember there was one day that she was working. My siblings were in daycare and I should have been in school, but I was sick. So I was home. And then my stepdad, Tom, who's the man that she married, was home as well because he didn't have to work that day. And I just had to go to the bathroom. And so I walked in and I heard the shower run in. I didn't think anything of it, and I turned to look, and my stepdad was actually hanging dead in the shower. Oh, wow. Like, it was a detachable, like, shower head. Okay. And uh, I didn't really know what to do about that. Okay. Um, I ran out. I called 911. I knew that was the right thing, and then I left my house and, like, ran down to the neighbor's house, the people who babysat us, mm-hmm. and hid under their porch. And we had gone to church for Easter and Christmas, and so I knew there was God, didn't know anything else outside of that. But that was the first moment that I questioned him. Okay. I was like, God, why Why did I have to see that? What's happening? What's going on? And in that, uh, Tom decided not to um, endure all things because he took his own life. Right, and right. again, the Bible says that love endures all things. So it was yet another thing that I saw that was not love. And that took us, the kids, away from my mom and brought us to New Mexico where my grandparents lived. She was in jail because they found the drugs and stuff in our house. Um, and then once that all cleared up, we ended up, she moved to New York, got her job, found a man, asked for her kids back, and my grandparents took us up there. The cycle repeated itself. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So how long were you, with, were you with your grandparents in New Mexico before your mom got out of prison? Um, only a few months, okay. I would say. Okay. Yeah. So when you went to New York, were you in church at that point? Or did you all ever go? No, really until we moved to Texas later on. Okay. We only went to like the Catholic Easter and Christmas. Okay. All so right. it was not a big part of our home, not okay. anything we talked about. So you were in New York for how long? How long were you guys there? So we were in New York from 2004 until 2008. Okay. So four years. And life there was genuinely great. Was it? Okay. It was awesome. The man that my mom was with had a nice big house. And uh, my mom was genuinely sober at this point in time. Mm -hmm. And so it was the first time we could kind of move forward as a family like a true family unit. And so they get married and they actually have a son who was supposed to be a twin. And my mom had lost it. Uh, it was a boy and a girl. She lost the girl like four months into her pregnancy. Okay. So that was really hard and tough on her. I mm-hmm. saw that. Uh, but we did get the blessing of my baby brother, Nicholas. Right. And uh, I, even though life became very stable and awesome, there was still a little bit of instability because my mom was living with a lot of regret and shame mm. and insecurity. And any time that my s- new stepdad, Lou, would show signs of uh, 
attention towards other women, even if it's just a TV show. Like, oh, that girl's awesome. My mom kind of took it a little overboard from her past okay. and the baggage she carried. And I always thought it was just crazy that they would fight all the time. But what I didn't realize was that my stepdad was a big, like he had a big sex addiction. Mm. And he would go to work nine to five. He would come home, eat dinner, go to the office, lock the doors, put headphones on. I always thought as a young girl, he was still working. That was just a continuation of his work. But my mom and I were very good friends and she told me everything. So she told me he was watching porn. She told me about how it put false realities and expectations into their sex life, which is kind of weird because I was too young to hear all that. But she was more of a best friend than really a motherly, Mm -hmm. a nurturing mother. And I look back on it now and I always wondered, she was a stay-at-home mom, but she always dressed up nice, always wore makeup, and was always desperately seeking the attention of her husband Okay. because it was elsewhere. And she could never live up to that expectation. Right. And in that, I see that my stepdad was very arrogant to what he saw as real and fulfilling and all of that and Mm -hmm. projected that onto my mom and didn't see how much it was hurting her mentally. And so the Bible says love is not arrogant. Yeah. yeah. Um, And I look back on that and I realize that that's not love. That wasn't love. And my mom really suffered Mm -hmm. from it. We never really did. There was never any inappropriateness or... I never felt unsafe, but I watched it destroy her, which was really hard. I bet it was. And especially, you know, with her, she has she has the drug addiction. And even though at this time she's sober, the addiction is still there. Like yeah. the addiction, the, the drive is there. And so she has her own like heart issue that she needs to deal with. But on the top of that, she's desperately seeking love yeah. and desperately seeking someone to fill a void that she doesn't know how to fill. And she unfortunately two times in a row now mm-hmm. has been like, Okay, like (laughs) this is not working. Like it's totally like she's feeling like she's not measuring up, Mm -hmm. which can only make that cycle even worse in her life. And now here you are going, okay, I'm just looking for some stability because it sounds like you were super excited when you got to New York because it seemed like for the first time you felt like you had a family. But Mm -hmm. then the realities of what was going on behind the scenes started to creep to the top. Mm -hmm. Right. And uh, and that was playing on you. Right. That was that was impacting you and, and your mom. So what happened then? So. Then he actually got caught watching porn at work and lost his job. And his name was in the newspapers all throughout the city. And it really brought a lot of shame to our family. And his decision was to go back to college because that was the only way he'd get a good job like the one that he had. And the two options were Texas or Alaska. And my mom said, we're not moving to somewhere with the snow. (laughs) I'm sick of it. And so that's what led us down to Texas is he was going to go to UT of Austin. And we moved down there. And that was really rough on me. Because like I said, even though there was still instability, I finally had a family. I finally had friends. We were in this place longer than we had ever been anywhere else. Okay. And it was right as I was going into high school. And I had to leave all my friends behind, all my new family through him behind and I was already a very angry selfish person and that made me hate my parents for making me move there and so we get to Texas and I'm not really into it I'm I'm not giving them an easy time with the transition being very disrespectful and rude Mm -hmm. and uh, unaccepting of new things and all of that but I found my place in Texas I joined the softball team and that really was my escape because as a freshman, I was good enough to be on the varsity team. Nice. And so I immediately kind of got that popularity mm-hmm. and I got that 
community and all of that. And so I just took that and run with it, ran with it. And I was so devoted that even at night when I was home, I would go and run around our huge apartment complex and just really put everything into that. And my mindset was if I did super good at sports and if I did super well in my studies, my parents would stop fighting, mm. you know. So I put all of that weight on myself, and I tried very hard in softball, and I got pretty good at what I did. Uh, but the next, like, biggest, big, huge moment in my life was I was doing my routine run around a apartment complex, and it was a very, very big one. I didn't have a cell phone at the time, and I was on the complete other side of where we lived, and it was dark because in Texas it's 700 degrees <laughs> during the day right. and only 650 <laughs> during the night. So Absolutely. you run then. And kind of like a movie, which is just ridiculous, I was followed by a truck. And I tried to outrun it. I kept taking turns I had never done before. And eventually they caught up to me. And just three younger men got out of the truck and took me behind like bushes and stuff and did whatever they wanted to do. Mm. And in it, like I felt numb. I felt so scared for my life. I felt worthless and hopeless and useless. And I'm sitting there with all of these feelings and this pain and shame. And all I can hear is them having fun, mm -hmm. them enjoying what they're doing, them boasting about what they're doing. Right. And that really, really killed me. Like, mm. you could have done what you did and just stayed silent about it. But now I have to live with the haunting things that I've heard, you know, like, oh man, I can't believe you did that. That's awesome. Right. It sucked. Mm. Um, and I went home. Thankfully they left me okay. and I went home and my parents as always were in a knockdown drag out fight and I didn't want to ruin it. I didn't want to make it worse. Wow. So I didn't talk to anyone. I didn't sleep that night. I didn't really get much sleep or talk to anyone that whole week. And it took me two years, two or three years before I ever told anyone. Really? And um, what I get from that is the Bible says that love's not boastful. Like mm -hmm. outside of all the other things that love is not, that that obviously occurred in there. Um, but the fact that they were boasting about it mm -hmm. was just a nasty way for me to see that sort of love. Mm -hmm. And from that point on, I continued through high school thinking that I'm not worth anything besides my body. And um, if that's the only way I can get love, apparently that's the only way my stepdad can love my mom. Um, that's the only thing I'm worth. And so I really struggled with, I didn't date around a lot. I had very long-term boyfriends. I had like two boyfriends in high school okay. and both I dated for a year, year and a half, mm -hmm. but I always was engaged in that sexual sin, even though I didn't see it as sin back then, mm -hmm. but I didn't feel worthy of anything. Right. Cause at that point you're not a believer no. right? and, mm -hmm. and not really even seeking after the things of God not at, at, all. at all. Right. And, um, so what, what, what happened? Like what, what point was that? intersection then yeah so my mom was sober for 10 years so mm. from new york until texas when i was a junior in high school okay and something happened where she fell back into it and we just could not believe that that would happen right uh she started disappearing uh, i remember my stepdad took me to a major highway and was like i have to show you something and my mom was walking in the middle of it because she was high didn't know what she's doing and uh it was really, really hard. She was very physically abusive to all of us in that time. Mm -hmm. Like she had put me in the hospital because I tried to stop her from leaving okay. the house one day. And I felt kind of betrayed because she was my best friend and mm -hmm. she was treating the family so poorly. 
But around that time, praise God, one of the girls on my softball team invited me to church, okay. to her Baptist church. And I had never really gone before. And I said, sure. My parents said it was okay. Well, my stepdad did. And so I went for four Wednesday nights, not even Sunday mornings, but Wednesday nights, youth group. Okay. It was amazing. The mm. people were so fun. It was just a freeing environment where I felt like I belonged. They made me feel like I really belonged there. And I felt safe, and I forgot all about what was going on at home. Okay. One of my biggest mistakes, though, is I never opened up about what was going on at home. No one knew that my mom was out in the streets. No one knew that I carried all of this baggage and weight. And I was hearing over and over again that God loved me. He sent his son to die for me, but I didn't want his love. Right. And I didn't want to accept him because I was too broken. Mm-hmm. And there's no way he could understand why I was going or how I was go- like what I was going through. And so I just kept, oh, that's cool. That's good for you guys. This is awesome. I'll <laughs> right. take part in what you're doing, but I don't mm-hmm. want that. Right. And one night I was on my way home from youth group my youth leader would pick us up from school from softball practice take us to the church we'd have our uh, youth group time and then she'd take us home and it was very late and I got a phone call from my stepdad saying you need to get home now and I was the type of person that was like chill out like I'm on my way it's just very rude very disrespectful and I get there and there's caution tape around my house there's an ambulance there's a fire truck everything and so my first thought because i had a lot of bitterness towards my mom was oh who the heck did she hurt now Mm, you know Uh, but when my stepdad came out of the next door neighbor's house and not our house i knew something was very wrong and he brought me into the next door neighbor's house and my siblings were sitting there all three of them the baby being three at this time uh, and told me that our our mom had died Mm. and I just never thought I'd be the girl whose mom died in high school. Right, right. And there was a lot of bitterness and shame uh, towards her and guilt because I couldn't tell you the last time I told her I loved her. That day, at, that very day at school, I went home and told everyone how much I hated her because of how poorly she treated me and how she would go back to her addiction. And I immediately texted that youth leader that just dropped me off, a couple people from the youth group, and my softball coach because I had a huge softball tournament the next morning. Okay. We were going to leave and uh, my youth leader asked me if I could leave and go to the McDonald's right down the road with them. And I asked my dad, and because I wasn't there, I was allowed to leave. Um, I wasn't there when it happened. Right. And so they picked me up, and they took me to McDonald's, and I'm surrounded by all of these new people. You know, I knew them for about a month. My softball coach I've known for years. Right. But I was just fighting this idea of why are they here? They don't know mm-hmm. me. They don't know what I'm going through. So I was angry at them, which is silly. But then I kept thinking, well, they all have Christ and they say that he died for us because he loves us and that you can have that love and share it to others. I kept hearing that and I was fighting this anger anger, and then all of a sudden, as if Jesus was standing right in front of me, um, it was a big smack in the face of it's me, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm why they're there. Right. I'm why they love you. And I... I want you to have that, you know, I'm calling out to you. And so I thought in my head, okay, well, I can go down the path that my mom went down, which I'm already kind of going down Mm -hmm. because I have no self-worth and I'm desperate for attention and I'd do anything to get it. And, or I could go and do what these people are doing and just love on other people Mm -hmm. in the name of Christ and be there for others. And so the 
day that my mom died and she committed suicide, I didn't mention that, but the day that that happened was the day that I accepted Christ Mm. because that was the day I saw him. Because even with my mom's death, she chose not to um, endure all things just like my stepdad Mm. years before. And it says that love does endure and bear all things and she chose not to. And here Jesus is standing right in front of me saying, I am love. I know you don't know what it is. I know you've never experienced what love actually is, but you're experiencing it now through these people. And I want to, I want you to experience it forever. Absolutely. And, so. and, and I love that about your story because that your story mimics a lot of what we see in the New Testament. A lot mm-hmm. of times when Jesus showed up in a town where he, when he came to town or when he showed up in somebody's life, a lot of times it was in the moment of crisis. Mm-hmm. Because for some people, that might have been the only way to get through those barriers. And yeah. it sounds like you had a lot of barriers built mm-hmm. up. You, were, you just said you were on the same, kind of the same road your mom was on. And it's this self-destructive type of behavior. And he shows up in that moment of crisis. And he showed up in a way where you saw it lived out in other people that you'd already hung around a little bit. But you mm-hmm. didn't. You're like, oh, this is cool, but I don't want that part of it. Yeah. I just want the community part. And now he's like, okay, I'm going to tear the wall down. Mm-hmm. And like you're going to have to make a decision. And and he always shows, and I, so I love that, and I love that about your story. So what changed? Like, what what was that defining, I mean, obviously that was the defining moment. What happened? Yeah. What happened after that moment then? Well, from everything that I had been through, and even after I got saved, I fell back into sin for mm-hmm. a bit and ended up. Wait, you mean you weren't perfect after you got no, saved? No, I what? wasn't. <laughs> Can you believe it? Yeah. <laughs> but I got involved with a guy, you know, mm-hmm. and that was always my big downfall, mm-hmm. and it got very, uh, very sinful, and it ended up with me getting pregnant Mm. at, you know, I'm a senior in high school. I was going to go to college for softball. So if I have this baby that's out the door Mm -hmm. and there's no way that life will ever be the same. And I, he was off at, at a different college, you know, he wasn't even around. I wasn't even to tell him. And so I decided I'm just going to go through with this. You know, I'm going to be the best mom that I can be. And in essence, I was rejoicing in wrongdoing. Mm. Like I was saved. I knew this was wrong. I should have never been taking part in the behind the scenes stuff because then I never would have been in the position that I was in. Right. But I was glad about it and I was joyful about it, which I know was wrong. Mm-hmm. And not because, not wrong in a sense that I'm rejoicing in new life, but I was rejoicing in the sin in that the I sin. took part right. in. Right. And I decided I was going to move forward with it. About almost five months later, and I haven't told anyone, hiding it super mm-hmm. well, wearing really baggy clothes. I finally was advised by my boyfriend at the time's sister-in-law to tell him because it's wrong that I'm not. And so I decided to, he said, I'm going to come down. I'm going to move back to Texas. We're going to take care of this baby. We're doing this together. Mm-hmm. And literally he got a flight three days later or within like the next week. It wasn't immediate. The day he was flying in, I miscarried. Mm. And so I was rushed to the hospital and I had to call a friend who was so removed from my circle of friends to take me and all of that stuff because I didn't want anyone to know what was going on. So I, I dealt with that alone and he blamed me for it. He thought I caused it. And so even after I got saved, some things changed, but big major things were hard to defeat. Mm. And in all of that, I became very, very angry. You know, I had all of this anger in me. I was manipulative, selfish. I would do anything to put other people down to raise myself up and get what I wanted. And after that, I was kind of very much humbled. Like, you can't continue to live that way, Christ was saying to me. 
and he had started to change like I stopped swearing and I was a little more kind still dealt with the anger outburst and all of that but he was slowly changing me I would say after that moment and a lot more came after that I went to Bible college and left for that same guy and all that but once I finally said okay God (laughs) you're right I should not be rejoicing in this right I need to let go of all the sinful things in my life that I don't really want to let go of, and I need to move forward in what I know you are calling me to do, Mm -hmm. which was to go back to Boston. And now, what has been super cool is I graduated from Bible college. I want to serve God with my entire life. I'd love to be a missionary if he brings me to that. If not, I'm here doing missions now. But the coolest thing is every single hard thing that I went through, he turned around. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love so much is that he's such a heavenly, a good heavenly father that he'll take all of that baggage and he'll turn it into blessings for other people. And I look back on my mom's rape and had that not happened, I wouldn't be here. And I look back on her husband's abuse and now I like I wouldn't be able to connect with people in the way that I I do and God has given me a sense to kind of see the abused like see them mm-hmm. and that's what they want they want to be seen right, right. and understood and I can understand because I've endured that and same thing with all of it like with my miscarriage I love kids and even today I get to be a part of hanging out with the kids here right. at Morningstar right. and so he's taken every little thing and he's made it good mm-hmm for his glory and he's changed my heart and perspective on it right right because we wouldn't call the things that happened to you good no but god has taken it and worked it out for good yes. and for his glory and i and i love that and i think hearing your story and when jesus showed up and even though there's some things that happened even after that and i mean you've even had a rough couple of weeks with another family member yeah. here even recently but i think one thing that you understand especially now is the the depth of God's grace mm-hmm. you know like how and there's even more the Bible even it's unfathomable but yeah. but there's some people I think that they they struggle with this idea of like what it really looked like for God to take your sin put it on his son and say now that you're been wrapped in my righteousness like I don't see any of that brokenness mm-hmm. anymore and there's unfortunately there's a lot of believers who don't really understand what that meant and yeah. it doesn't really impact them I think that you're one of the ones that you get it like you get that part you know I, I know where I was at and and how broken and how how imperfect I was and to have God step in and like totally take that but not just do that but to be the heavenly father to you mm-hmm. that you never had earthly represented for you yeah. and, and I and I love that about your story and I, and I love what God's doing in your life and what he has here so what what, what would you say because I, mean, I mean there's even listening right now we have no idea who might be listening right now maybe right. there's maybe there's a young lady or a young man right now who might be like man that's kind of very similar to my story um, whether they're a believer or not but what would you say to them right now I would probably say that when God says in his word that he's going to make you a new creation that he means it mm-hmm. because I'm not anywhere near the person I used to be right. in the best way, mm-hmm. like the kind hearted, loving, overly empathetic and, mm-hmm. and all of that. Like I see things differently. I feel things differently and I am different in a complete way. And I would say that to trust that process, okay. to trust that he can 
make you completely new, that there is total reconciliation and restoration from the things that you may be struggling with, the things that you are having a hard time letting go of, where as soon as you recognize him as the one in control who can take those things and just throw them out and clothe you with his righteousness and make you new, that to just let him do it. Because he really, really shows up in that and he rejoices in that. He wants people to see who you were actually created to be, which was not for your sin. You're created to bear his image and to reflect him. And he takes it very seriously in changing you into that. Absolutely. And we've heard some of your story of the the struggles in your story and part of your journey. What's been, to wrap up, what's been your most favorite part of your journey so far? I think it was graduating from Bible college. Okay. Because I left and I had no intentions of going back because that's I was running into sin Mm -hmm. not away from it right and when I went back to that college people opened their arms to me and they believed in me and I gained this new family and new home and I felt loved more there than I had ever prior to that so when I walked that stage and got my diploma what was awesome and just a true representation of God's grace and restoration was Whenever everybody else walked across, their cute little family pockets would cheer. Mm-hmm. But when I did, everyone cheered mm. because everyone, I I knew everyone there right. and everyone knew that had I had come so far and it was just so cool. Not in a self-righteous, I'm so good way. No, but right. I finally had a community that loved me the way Christ loves me right. and right. supported me. And from that point on, I've it's really pushed me to be closer to him and have a stronger passion for him. Well, I love that. And I, and I love that you're here at Morningstar that God brought you here. And I'm excited about what he's doing now through you and what he's going to keep doing through part of what our ministry is here. And, and I, I love that. And, and I hope you caught on to those of you who are listening to the, the freedom that mm-hmm. is found only in Christ. Yeah. And when Jesus comes to town, man, we got to pay attention. And, and he's, he's not done working yet. No. And he's not done reaching out to people. Right. And, and I just, I love that you search for love <laughs> in every place that it can be found and that, that you couldn't find it until you found it in Christ. Mm-hmm. But not that you just found it in Christ, because I think that's, that's the easy answer, but it wasn't just like, oh, I found love in Christ, but you found love in Christ, but being shown through his people yeah. mm-hmm. and whether it's that moment at Bible college or that moment at McDonald's, mm-hmm. I think it's so important because it's so easy, especially in churches to be like, well, just loving them with Jesus isn't enough. And the reality is like your story is, is a billboard mm-hmm. for loving them with Jesus is everything. Yeah. It's right, everything. Right. It is. It it's is. everything. Yeah. And being the hands and feet of Jesus is everything. And so I appreciate the, courage that it takes to sit here and say i'm gonna shoot this out <laughs> on the internet for anybody to download <laughs> and hear my story it, right. it's it's huge to to take that step and so mm-hmm. i just i just want to say like thank you um on behalf of of us uh, on behalf of the person who may hear this that is struggling with an abusive situation and doesn't know what to do Mm-hmm. or the person who has baggage that doesn't know where to go with it, your courage to share this type of story is you showing the love of Christ to someone else through telling your story. So thank you. Yeah, yeah. Of course. Thanks for 
letting me do it. It does get hard. Mm-hmm. I don't think it will ever get easy to share it, but it's not my story to hold. That's right. It's his. So. That's right. Well, um, until next week, we're going to have another um, story, and we can't wait um, to, to introduce to you another one of our people who have an amazing story. So we will see you on next week's episode.